Yeah, I mean, I'm not the president of Web Components or anything, uh, but if I were, I'd say the state of Web Components is good. Hello, and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today, I'm here with Dave Rupert, who is co-founder of Luero, um, also a developer at Paravel and host of the very popular podcast Shop Talk, which I'd recommend everyone check out as their second favorite podcast asked after Pod Rocket. <laughs> um, how are you doing today, Dave? Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, so a lot of things um, that we can cover today because you know you kind of have your hand in a lot of interesting projects. It seems um, maybe we could start with talking about web components. I know you recently launched um, a new masterclass talking about web components. So you want to give us a quick rundown of what that's all about? Sure. Yeah. Uh, the course is over at Front End Masters, um, and they uh, brought me in to talk about web components. Um, I am a fan of web components. I I'm a member of the Web Components Community Group, which is like a group of I don't know advocates for web components that try to uh, influence the roadmap, if you will. Um, we, we can't propose anything actually like that's legally through the W3C or whatever. Uh, but we can like say, this is really important to us and make documents about that. Um, and, and kind of dream up specs and APIs that might like make web components better. So, uh, I started a, I did a course for uh friend and masters. They didn't have a course. So this is kind of the first, uh, big web components course. Um, and I think that was in, it dropped in May, 2022. And so, uh, really cool to have that out. Got it. And I'm curious for a quick overview from you, like what is the state of web components in 2022? I mean, I know the technology seemed like had a lot of buzz, maybe four or five years ago, something like that, maybe even a bit more. And then, React and Vue kind of came onto the scene and they have their own notion of components. And I know they're not mutually exclusive with web components, but I feel like kind of they may have stole some of web components thunder. Um, but like, yeah, what does it look like today to use web components? Where are people using them? What's exciting there? Yeah, I mean, I'm not the president of web components or anything, uh, but if I were, I'd say the <laughs> state of web components is good. Um, I, I, there's... You're right. Like it's it's been a long sorted history. Uh, like web components were actually proposed in like 2013, which is the like before React, um, before Vue, before Svelte. Uh, this was even like a, like around the era of Bootstrap, you know. So people are building things in Bootstrap. Angular, I think, also came out in 2013. Um, so it's kind of, or maybe Angular was like 2010 or something like that, but. They all it came out and Polymer was kind of the flagship framework from Google and it was like use Polymer to build apps um, stuff like I think YouTube was built using Polymer and stuff like that so it it had some uh, some sort of I, I guess backing but it was also pretty immature back then and it wasn't until very recently actually 2020 when uh, Chrome or sorry, edge switched over to the Chromium browser or Chromium engine. It wasn't until 2020, uh, when all browsers supported web components. So I'm kind of of the mindset. If you were using web components before 2020, you were kind of an early adopter and you were just getting cut to pieces by all the weird <laughs> support issues or, or cross browser things. Um, there was like a, a polyfill that worked in IE and stuff like that, but you know, your mileage can kind of vary there. 
Um, so it wasn't, you know, until recently, like stuff worked. And since then, the, the spec has matured a lot. Like the, the first version kind of had these like HTML imports, you know, where you just link up to an HTML file and a style tag. And then like, bingo, bingo, you're using web components. But now that like didn't get picked up by Mozilla and WebKit. They didn't pick that HTML import thing up. And so it's kind of shifted into like an all JavaScript thing. And so the Polymer team even kind of not shut down, but just sort of said, you know, how about this idea of lit, which is sort of another framework, a library more. It's like seven kilobytes or something, but it's a library built on top of uh, the the web component foundation kind of brings a reacty sort of DX to, to web components. So, um, so I'd say it's good and it's heating up. A lot of companies are adopting it. I think it's something like, 18% of all page loads in Chrome show a web component like GitHub, YouTube, um, some, you know, Salesforce and Microsoft and Adobe. They're all kind of starting to pick up on web components. So kind of an exciting time. I would say in 2022, now is like a really good time to start looking at web components. Enjoying the podcast? Consider hitting that follow button for more great episodes. And for folks who maybe aren't as familiar with what web components are, what does the kind of spec look like today? What are the core components of the spec and what, what makes a web component a web component? Yeah, so um, a web component, web components themselves are actually like a combination of four different specifications. Um, there's the template API, which is like the literal template element in uh, HTML. Um, and then there's another one that's kind of a sister to that slot, which allows you to pass your content into the template. The second one is custom elements, which is kind of what you think of when you see a web component. It's like my hyphen map or, you know, uh, custom dash button. It has to have that hyphen in it. And, and then you register that custom element to the browser and the browser says, oh, I know what to do with that. I just run this bit of JavaScript whenever I see that element. So that's the custom elements. The third part is Shadow DOM, which is like simultaneously the coolest and dorkiest thing we have in web development. <laughs> um, but you have a, 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 it's a kind of a vague word for encapsulation. So I think of it as like an egg. So uh, you, you have styles and scripts on the outside and styles and scripts on the inside, and you don't want them bleeding out of the egg. You don't want the you know, styles from the outside getting on the inside of the egg and you don't want the styles on the inside of the egg going outside of the egg. So that's what I think of Shadow DOM, like just a, a sort of encapsulation of your uh, component. And then the third, fourth thing was the HTML imports, but that's kind of pivoted to now ES modules. And uh, there's kind of new specifications out to like extend that. Like you can import CSS and JSON and uh, maybe even HTML one day into your JavaScript just as like, I don't know, just as an object. So, And is there a story for using web components with React or Vue or other frameworks or is it kind of one or the other? Yeah, totally. Um, so there is a, um, so I think what's important too is there's a lot of overlap uh, with like a, a modern component system framework, like they're going to give you a little bit of a life cycle, right? Like a created and updated and uh, like a render, you know, 
Um, and so web components kind of do that. And so you can make kind of like offload a lot of componentry work to a web component if you were to use web components. Uh, but there are ways, like let's say you built a system in React because you didn't use web components because they weren't ready until 2022. There's starting to be some wrappers like uh, Lit Labs has one, um, which is through the folks at Lit. And there's a, even React itself has an experimental branch that you can use web components in. Uh, Preact, Svelte, Vue, they all support web components kind of first party. Um, so you can actually build your web components and use them in your uh, use them in your JavaScript app. And where that's that that's honestly like I would not recommend that. <laughs> like if you have a view app, just use view components. Like don't overcomplicate it, you know. Uh, but if you're in a situation where what and what I find is a lot of companies, they're in a situation where like, yeah, we have the view app, but the marketing site is like on WordPress. Or, uh, you know, we have this Rails app that could use a lot of love, but we don't have the budget or the time or the money to like flip it into a whole, you know, single page app. Um, so that's sort of like a situation where web components might be really good is because you have, you just write the web components, your JavaScript app consumes those components, like your design system components, and then your, uh, rails app can also use the web components really easily without like additional build tooling and all that stuff. So, um, I think there's, you know, it, it's easy to think of like JS versus web components, but I don't know, uh, like web components are part of the web platform. And they're a slow moving part, but they're a part of the web platform. And, and I think like they are probably, again, like now's a really good time to start looking at them because I think a lot of these components may be able to start offloading some idiosyncrasies or, or sort of normalize around the web component spec. Yeah, well, thanks, Dave. It's been cool to kind of get a quick refresher on, on the state of web components. I mean, as I mentioned, I... Uh, I definitely they ha have had kind of, I'd say like waxing and waning interest over the years, but it's definitely news to me that it's really only now that they are finally ready for prime time with the browsers kind of officially supporting them. So excited to see what the space holds in the future. Um, and quick reminder for folks, um, Dave has a new course on web components. So if you want to get a deep dive and, and really learn um, how to master web components, we will put a link to that in the episode description. Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcasts. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts. All right, back to the show. So Dave, you are also the co-founder of Luro. So could you give us a quick overview of what you're working on there? Yeah. Um, so I, so <laughs> I've been working with, uh, these two yahoos, Trent Walton and Reagan Ray for like 15 years. And we started a, a web design agency called Paravel and we built websites for, uh, feels like hundreds of companies now. And so, uh, we started taking that knowledge and we started rolling that into an application that we're building called Luro and we're calling it a, a product development system. 
which is like something we made up, but it's also like very descriptive <laughs> about what it does. Um, a lot of like design tooling for design systems or, or what have you, it, it usually focuses a lot on designing code, right? Like, hey, here's the components in Figma and here's the components in Storybook or something. We're like, we're trying, we're doing that, but then we're also like, we've also realized that building a product is a lot more than just designing code. Um, there's a lot of people that work on websites, hundreds, uh, sometimes millions, but, um, you know, uh, hundreds of people have input and insights that, that fit into your, uh, product. And so it's not just designers and developers. It, it can be business people. It can be, uh, the, the one person who just has to run all the AB tests. And so Luro is trying to solve that kind of you know, issue where everyone kind of works in their own silo and they all kind of do their thing and they work on with their little pieces of software. And that's good. And we want people to do that, like find tools that rock for you, uh, find tools that are really good for you. But I, I like to say we're solving the the problem where you have to ask uh, Sally to ask Bill to ask Jim to ask Carl uh, how many hits does the homepage get every month? You know, so I think we've all been in that situation where you're just like, I just need this answer and it's going to take two weeks. Uh, so that's a long time to wait when you're building a product just to figure out, I don't know, what A-B tests have we run on the about page or something like that. So help me contextualize, like, how does Luro fit in with existing kind of like project management tools like a Jira or Linear, Trello, something like that that kind of helps teams manage who's doing what and what works is kind of in progress, stuff like that. The, those tools are all great. Um, I'll say like those tools work fine. Um, but it, for me, it's kind of like plugging into a fire hose, right? So you're just blasted with issues. And if you want to find something out, good luck, kind of, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you have to like, you know, dig through every single sprint that's ever happened to find every dead closed issue to find out why the buttons on the homepage are purple, you know? So uh, it's sort of, you know, uh, again, it's like want people to use the tools that make them feel good and productive. Like love that. Absolutely. But like finding out like why that work happened is really kind of hard to do. Got it. But is, is it the right way to think about Loro as like a alternative to like those existing project management tools, or is it something that integrates and kind of plays nicely with folks, existing stacks? Yeah, it's kind of something that tries, we're trying to, you know, it's like always big theoretical, but we're really trying to like, and we have some good like momentum right now uh, of like plugging in to the tools you use and surfacing that information in a better way in Luro. Got it. So in terms of plugins, I'm, I'm looking at the website, I see like, looks like a Figma, perhaps a Figma integration. Um, is there like a, a matching, maybe a GitHub integration or something like that? Uh, I can't talk about future features um, <laughs> at this stage, uh, but you know, I, I think the like what we want to do is listen to customers. What do they need? What do they work with? What are they they using? And then like help build something that fits people. Got it. But like with the existing Figma integration, like when I plug Figma into Luro, what is it showing me? What is it? What's kind of that feed or that uh, kind of uh, fire hose light that uh, Luro produces that? Just help me kind of think about that. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, right now, like 
Uh, if you, you know, need to know some colors, right. Um, like for your design system or something, uh, you you have to go into Figma, find the right file. Good luck. But now you find the, found the right file. Uh, and then you have to know where it is, uh, offhand. Do you know where the colors are? No. Right. Like, so they're <laughs> yeah. in the right sidebar somewhere. Yeah. I can't even tell you with good confidence. Uh, but Lura is going to help surface that. Right. And then like, even just like getting an index of all your components, like understanding what components you have, what different states they exist in. Um, Luro tries to surface that in a, in a way to where you can just use Figma, like you use Figma and you probably, if you're a designer, you understand this, like you're, you're very fluent and comfortable navigating around. And this is where that silos come, thing comes in. I, I, as a developer am, have zero comfortability when I use Figma. And so when I switch over to Figma, like that's lost time and lost money to like, for me to dig around and find a color, you know? So, uh, the Figma, like the, the way we're thinking about our Figma integration right now is just to like, how can we make it easier for both designers to do what they do and then developers to get the information they need, um, out of that. So without kind of, I don't know, <laughs> like boiling the ocean inside Figma. So. Makes sense. And yeah, very exciting. And, um, are you, it sounds like you're kind of in like beta or kind of in development phase is if folks want to check out the product can they do that yet or still have to join the waitlist for a bit not quite yet. yeah you have to join the waitlist um but you know i think we're gonna hopefully start this fall um start bringing people in kind of uh you know more intentional at first you know but then kind of rolling it out to as many people as we can um just again like want to get people on want to make sure nothing explodes <laughs> and then uh we want to make sure uh that we can you know scale up and handle all the load so yeah and are you building kind of with design partners, like folks who you're who are kind of using it, giving you feedback, or is a lot of it coming from, you know, your work with Parvel and like the actual problems you faced, or how are you kind of thinking about figuring out what to build and the product development lifecycle there? Yeah, no, we're we're like we have design partners right now, and like we we just want to make sure like we have, you know, them, and then like in in kind of a broad sense like the, the right design partners that give you like good feedback and stuff like that. So, uh, that's kind of how we're approaching it. I mean, we have a big history of, you know, working with, you know, uh, like I said, you know, dozens and dozens of different teams and, and products and companies, uh, B2B, E2E, all kinds of different companies over the like 15 year life cycle of Paravel. So we have like kind of good guesses. Um, but again, like, I think we want to have like, uh, you know, some design partners giving us really good feedback on what, um, we're doing. Yeah, well, super exciting to, to hear about Luro. And we are going to put a link um, to join the waitlist in the episode description for anyone who wants to get on the waitlist and perhaps get towards the front of the line for, um, you know, when, when it goes public uh, later this year. Um, so I think next, it'd be cool to learn a bit more about Shop Talk. Um, you, know, you guys have, have built a pretty incredible audience there. And it's definitely a podcast we it, it, it inspires us for sure as kind of another developer focused podcast um so we'd love to learn a bit more about the show maybe you could give a quick overview for folks who haven't heard it um and yeah sure yeah uh shop talk is a podcast i started uh, about 10 years ago with chris coyer formerly of css tricks um in CodePen. um we yeah i mean we, we 
we kind of sit at the intersection of fart sounds and web development. Um, <laughs> and we uh, have done this weekly show here. We're on, I think, gosh, episode 525 or something like that. So we've been doing it a long time, uh, showing up every week for the last 10 plus years. So it's great. We enjoy it. Um, we, we have, you know, wonderful shopomaniacs who tune in every week. So we appreciate them. And uh, we, we, yeah, it, it's fun. And what kind of topics do you cover? Like, is it front end focused or kind of general things that are interesting to any developer? How do you kind of think about choosing topics, especially you've now done 500 episodes. So yeah. what's your process there? When you've done 500, you kind of have a lot. Uh, you've talked about a lot. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I, I would say just by the nature, Chris and I are probably both generalists, you know, so we're, we're not like, you know, react stars. Uh, although Chris does react, I do view and web components, but like we're, we're, we're kind of generalists by heart. So we, we work on WordPress sites. We work on craft CMS sites. We work on Webflow sites. We, you know, we have kind of this broad experience, um, that we kind of bring, but, and Chris has been more on the product side and I've been more on the agency side historically. Um, although that has shifted. Um, so I think like we, we've brought, you know, for five years there, he was on Mac or, and I was on PC. Um, so we've tried to like bring some differences in, in that way. But, um, you know, I, I, I think, yeah, it, it's more in the like front of the front end to borrow a term from Brad Frost, but, um, uh, probably more in the, like, you know, making client side sites or, or HTML, CSS and, and JavaScript stuff. But then, you know, there, there's times you have to kind of get deep into like database queries and the impact that has on a website, you know? So I think we try to do that best we can. Um, you know, I, I shy away from the term full stack, but that's probably what it falls into. So. Yeah. Well, we will definitely put a link um, to shop talk on um some of the platforms, like I guess Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, we can put a few of those links. Or, or is there a website actually? We could probably a better place to link. Shoptalkshow.com. Yeah. Shoptalkshow.com. So we will put a link to shoptalkshow.com. And there's a, like, we also have some amazing guests that drop by and dispense actual knowledge. <laughs> so it's really, <laughs> it's, it's fun and worth it, uh, in my opinion. So cool. Well, Dave, thank you so much for spending some time on our podcast, um, especially when you you have your own that is uh, probably even more popular than we are. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. Well, thank you again. And um has been really great learning about Luro and Web Components, and Shop Talk. Um, and we are, as I said, we're going to put links to all of your projects in the episode description. And um, yeah, it was really great speaking with you. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And yeah, thank y'all. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.